All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 12. And before I get into the sermon this morning or uh, the lesson this morning, whatever you want to call it, the preaching this morning, I want to answer a question uh, from last week's sermon. Last week, we talked about uh, planning your spending, and it was a sermon out of the Bible in regards to budgeting and in regards to controlling your spending and all those things. And I was asked by a few, by several uh, business owners or people who, uh, you know, maybe make, make money off of uh, just, you know, com- straight commission where they don't really know exactly how much money they're going to make uh, before that month, you know, about how to budget. I, I know that in our church we've got uh, I think last time I counted eight or nine different business owners, and I thought if, if a few of them are asking a, you know, a question, then they're probably uh, a few, you know, there's probably more of you that have the same question. So I want to go ahead and answer that question before we get into the sermon. I also want to do it uh, just on, on, uh, on tape, I guess, or on recording, because there's many people who listen to our sermons online, and they may be asking themselves the same question. So how do you budget when you aren't sure what your income is going to be. Maybe you're a business owner, or maybe you're a straight commission. And what you need to do, and it actually goes with today's sermon, because we're going to talk about saving, uh, saving money today. And what you need to do is you need to get yourself ahead one month. And what that means is this. We're in the month of September. You don't want to be paying your September bills based on the money that you make in September. You want to get yourself ahead so that the money that you make in September is used to pay the October bills. And now this, this is what that does for you. When you begin the month of October, you know, you, you're, not, you're not sure how much money you're going to make in October, but you know exactly how much you made in September, and you can use that to budget for the month of October. Does that make sense? So the money you make in October is not used to pay the bills in October. It's used to pay the bills of November. So if you get yourself one month ahead, and of course that's going to take some savings and discipline, then that way it doesn't matter within the month if you know how much money you will make that month. You may have a good month or a bad month. If you're living one month ahead or from last month's uh, finances, when you go into October, you know exactly how much you made in September. You use that to create your budget. When you go into November, you know exactly how much you made in October. You use that to create your budget. So I wanted to answer that question for our business owners. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you should check out last week's sermon. It'll probably make a little more sense. If you look there in Luke chapter number 12, I want to bring your attention down to verse number 16. This morning, we're going to be talking about uh, savings, preparing for the future. And I want to just kind of lay a foundation in regards to this idea of savings because today uh, there are many people who teach that, you know, saving and preparing for the future is actually something that goes anti-scripture and anti what the Bible teaches. And one of the passages that they use is this passage here in Luke chapter number 12. And I want to bring your attention to it and just kind of uh, help you to see maybe some things that you may have missed in your own personal reading. If you look at verse number 16 of Luke chapter number 12, the Bible says this, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So Jesus is talking about a man who's wealthy, and he had a good year. He had a, 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 a good harvest come in, and he's got a lot of money. If you look at verse 17, the Bible says, and he thought within himself. Now, I want you to notice already, there's no acknowledging of God. There's no praying. There's no seeking God's will. He's just looking at himself. And and notice what the Bible says. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Okay? So he says, I've got so much. You know, I've got so many fruits. And I've got nowhere to put it. You know, what do I do? Uh, Because I've got nothing to do. Notice verse 18. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, notice, no acknowledging of God, no praying to God, no seeking God's will, just, uh, you know, doing that which is right in his own eyes. He's speaking to himself. I will say to my soul, soul. 
Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, right there, we, we know for a fact from the book of Proverbs and many other places, God is never for laziness. God is never for someone just making so much money that now I don't have to work, I don't have to do anything, I'm just going to take mine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Look at verse 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Now, some people will take this passage and say, See, God does not want you to save money. God does not want you to save stuff. God does not want you to have things. Because, you know, there was a foolish man that built up his barns and built up these things. But I want you to notice verse number 21. God, in verse 20, God said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required. Then who shall those things be? And if you remember from the very first sermon in the series, we talked about the fact that perspective creates contentment. And when you have the perspective that none of the stuff that you have is going with you, you can't take it after you die. It's staying on this earth. It helps you to be content with the things that God has given you. And here, God is saying to this man, you are a fool because you're going to die. And who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Now notice verse number 21. So is he that layeth up. Now that word, that phrase, layeth up, is talking about saving money. And he says, so is he that layeth up. And people will say, see, God doesn't want you to lay up. God doesn't want you to save. God doesn't want you to put money away. But I want you to notice the key words here. So is he that layeth up treasure. Here are the key words. Underline these words. For himself. And is not rich toward God. See, the problem is not that he laid up treasures. In fact, I will prove to you from the Bible that it's good, you know, and God blesses and God talks positively about the fact of laying up treasures, but it is a problem when you are laying up treasures for yourself. And it goes back to the same idea that I have hit every single time in this sermon, in this series, and I will hit it every sermon in this series, the idea of covetousness. Now go back to verse number 13, just to give you the context of this parable. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 13. Luke chapter 12 and verse number 13, notice what the Bible says. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Now notice, this is what brought about this parable. Basically, a man is fighting with his brother about the inheritance that was left to him. And he says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, can you tell my brother to give me some money? Here's what he's saying. I want money. Look at verse 14. And he said unto him, man, who made me judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, take heed. Now notice, here's the context. Here's the the purpose of the parable. Take heed and beware of savings. Is that what it says? Beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And then he goes on in verse 16, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So the parable is not anti-savings. The parable is anti-hoarding. The parable is anti-covetousness. The parable is anti laying up treasures for yourself, but it's not against savings. Let me give you another example. Look at verse number 21. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself. Well, let me cover this. And is not rich toward God. See, that's the problem. Skip down just real quickly in the same chapter there to verse number 33, all right? Let me just give you uh, some things to think about. The problem, see, the problem is not money. It's the love of money. And it's a desire to be rich. It's a desire to have things. 
If you have money and you use it towards the kingdom of God and towards eternal things, hey, that's not a bad thing. If you are rich towards God, in fact, that's a good thing. Notice what the Bible says. Look at verse 33. Sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, someone who makes money and is successful financially and maybe uses that money to, to finance, you know, uh, church programs or missions or, or uses it to be able to help people start churches and see people be saved. Hey, you are investing something that is temporary, temporal, into something that is eternal. And God says, that's a good thing. The problem that this rich fool had was not that he was laying up treasures, but it was that he was laying up treasures for himself. His whole goal was to just be able to sit back, to take his ease, to eat, drink, and be merry, and to not worry about anything else, to only worry about himself. And like I said, covetousness covetousness is a theme that I want to touch on in every sermon in this series, because I don't want you know, anybody accusing me of trying to preach something God is against you having lust and desires towards things. God is not against you having things, but God is against things having you. So you should not, you know, be, have a desire for riches or have a desire for things. Look at verse number 22, Luke chapter 12. Let me give you another example. When we talk about savings, we're not talking about hoarding. You got to understand that. We're not talking about laying up as many goods, as many toys, as many things as you can get to just fulfill every desire that you have. That's not what we're talking about. In verse number 22, Jesus continues this idea, and this is a, a, parabel, uh, a parallel to Matthew chapter 6, which we looked at earlier in this series, so we won't look at it today. But look at verse 22. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, neither for the body. What you shall put on. People will take these verses and say, see, you're not supposed to think about the future. Not supposed to prepare about the future. God says to take no thought. But notice what the Bible says. Take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, neither for the body. What you shall put on. Now, in 1 Timothy, we were told, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Here's what's interesting. God guarantees believers two things, food and clothing. Now, he doesn't guarantee you a nice car. And he doesn't guarantee you a, you know, 15,000 square foot home. And he doesn't guarantee you, you know, a vacation every year. But he does guarantee you two things. He says there are two things you never have to worry or think about. Food and raiment. Now notice what it says. And he said unto his disciples, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. He says you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. The life is more than meat. And the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens. Now, he gives two examples. He says, consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, which neither have the storehouses nor barns. Now, that's savings. That's storehouses and barns. That's a reference to savings. People say, see, they don't save. We don't need to save. Now, notice what it says, though. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barns, and God feedeth them. Here's what he's saying. They don't worry about where they're going to eat, the ravens. They don't save up. They don't have storehouses, and God takes care of them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? Look at verse 25. And which of you, with taking thought, can add his, to his stature one cubit? I've tried it. It doesn't work. Okay? You can't add a cubit to your stature by just thinking about it. If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Look at verse 27. Consider the lilies. Here's another example. Okay, so 
What were the two things he said to not think about? Food and what? Raiment. Now, he gave us one example, the ravens, and he says, God feeds them. He's going to give us another example, the lilies, and he says, God clothes them. Look at what he says. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Now, he says, having food... And raiment, let us be there with content. God says, if you have food and you've got clothing, be happy, be satisfied, be content. I've guaranteed you those things. And then here he tells us, don't think about, now he's not saying don't think about the future. He's not saying don't prepare for the future. He's saying you don't have to think about these two things. The, what the ravens don't worry about, which is being fed, and what the lilies don't worry about, which is being clothed. Now look at verse number 28 again. And here's the problem. O ye of little what? Faith. Now, what, what does faith mean? Faith means trust. When I place my faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, I put my trust that he will save me. I am counting on him. The word faith means trust. Here's what he's saying. Oh, ye of little trust. He says, don't you trust God? He said, why are you doubting? Now, notice what he says. Look at verse 29. Seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink. Neither be ye of, here's the key word, you got to underline this word, neither be ye of doubtful mind. What is Jesus teaching against in this passage? Savings? Preparing? No, he's teaching against worry. He's teaching against doubting God. He's teaching against doubting the provisions of God. He's teaching against, you ought not be worried about where am I going to eat or how am I going to clothe my children. He says, look, if you're a child of God, if God takes care of the lilies, if God takes care of the ravens, God will take care of you. So quit doubting God. It's not a teaching against savings. It's a teaching against doubt. It's a teaching against worry. It's a teaching against being consumed with the things of this world. Look at verse 33. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather, he said, instead of thinking about the things that God already told you he was going to do, he says, worry about this. Seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. So what is he talking about? Is, does the Bible teach, does God teach against this idea of saving money and about preparing for the future? I would submit to you this morning that God doesn't teach that. In fact, I believe the Bible teaches the exact opposite. And these passages are not anti-savings. They're anti-doubting God and they're anti-covetousness. So when we talk about savings, we're not talking about hoarding. And when we talk about savings, we're not talking about worrying. But we are talking about preparing for the future. Go with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter number 41. should be fairly easy to find. If you can, keep your place in Luke, because we're going to come back to it. I know some of you already turned. But if you can keep your place in Luke, that'd be great. We're going to come back to Luke in a second. But go to Genesis chapter number 41. Genesis, first book in the Bible, should be fairly easy to find. Genesis chapter 41. This morning, I want to give you three reasons you ought to save, or three things that you ought to save for. The first reason, for those of you who like to take notes, number one, save for time of financial downturn. Save for times of financial downturn. Now, in Genesis 41, we have an interesting story, and I think God kind of lays down a a very practical example for us. Just to give you a little bit of the context, you guys are familiar with the story of Joseph. Remember the, the coat of many colors and all those things. If you look at verse number one, the Bible says this, Genesis 41. And it came to pass at the end of two or four years. And that Pharaoh dreamed a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. 
And behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kine. Now, kine is an uh, older word for cows. So he has a dream that he sees seven well-favored kine, cows, uh, and fat flesh, and they fed in the middle. These are healthy cows. These are fat cows. They're strong cows. He sees them, verse 3. And behold, seven other kine came up after them out of the river. Now, these kine were ill-favored and lean flesh. These were sickly. They were skinny and stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and lean flesh kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind, so Pharaoh awoke. So get this, Pharaoh has a dream. He sees these fat, healthy cows. Then he sees these skinny, scrawny cows, and the seven scrawny cows eat up the seven healthy Cows, look at verse 5. And he slept and dreamed a second time. So he goes back to sleep. He has a second dream. And behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good. So you got seven ears of corn come up. These are good stock. They're they're healthy. They're good. Verse 6. And behold, seven thin ears and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. So you've got good ears. you got thin ears. you got rank and good. You've got thin and not impressive. Look at verse 5. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank of the full ears. And Pharaoh woke, and behold, it was a dream. So he has another dream. See, seven ears of corn. Seven are healthy. Seven are not healthy. The seven healthy uh, destroy the seven that are not healthy. Look at verse 8. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. So Pharaoh gets all his people together. He says, I had these dreams. You know, what does it mean? And everybody's like, I don't know. We're not going to take the time to read the whole story. You can read the story of Joseph. It's a great story. Basically, the butler remembers Joseph and the fact that Joseph had already predicted a dream. Look at verse 14 of Genesis 41. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came into Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee, now notice this, I have heard say of thee, on Wednesday night we've been talking about Saul, how Saul did not promote himself, and how the key to being promoted by God is to not promote yourself. Notice what Joseph, what said of Joseph. Pharaoh says to Joseph, I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh and say, it is not in me. He says, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now, Joseph had an opportunity there to say, you know what, Pharaoh, I am pretty smart and I'm, you know, real talented and I'm going to answer this. But he said, no, 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 it's not about me. It's about God. And he gives God the glory. And I believe one of the reasons that Joseph was promoted was because he wasn't promoting himself. Look at verse 25. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream, is so, so we're, we're going to skip a bunch of verses just for sake of time. You can read it on your own. Pharaoh goes on to explain the dream to him. Now, Joseph is going to explain the interpretation and the application. The interpretation and the application of the dream. And I believe in these passages we find a good method for savings. Look at verse 25. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kind are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. So he says you had two different dreams, but they all mean the same thing. The seven healthy cows, the seven healthy ears all represent seven years. Look at verse 27. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. So he says the seven unhealthy cows and the seven, you know, ill or, or you know, a small ears there, those represent seven years. So you got seven years of plenty and you've got seven years of famine. Now notice verse 29. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty, 
throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land. So he's saying, you're going to have seven years of, you know, everything's going to be good, the economy's going to be great, it's going to be, everything's going to be booming, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. He said, the famine's going to be so bad, by the time the famine's done, you won't, we won't even look like we had seven years of plenty. We won't even remember that we had uh, seven years of plenty. Notice verse uh, 31. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following, for it shall be very grievous. And for that dream, and for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will surely bring it to pass. So here, Pharaoh gives the, uh, I'm sorry, Joseph gives the interpretation of the dream to Pharaoh. He says, here's what the dream means, and the fact that you dreamt it twice shows that God is not changing his mind. This is what will happen. Now notice the application. Look at verse 34. Now therefore, I'm sorry, verse 33. Now therefore, he says, because of this, because of the fact that there are years of plenty and then there are years of famine. He says, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up. Now that, that phrase means to save up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up. He's talking about saving corn under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities, and that food shall be, notice these words, for store. means we're going to save up that food to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. What is Joseph explaining to Pharaoh? Here's what he's telling him. During the times of plenty... During the times of good income, good job, you've got money, don't waste and don't spend all the money. He said, save up for the times of famine. He said, save up for the times of financial downturn. He said, save up for a rainy day. Save up for an emergency. Save up, you know, and here's the question that I want to ask you, and don't answer it aloud, but what if you had, you know, a $3,000 or a $5,000 or a $7,000 emergency? How would you deal with it? So I just pull out my credit card. That's why you're in bondage. That's why you're struggling financially. How would you handle it if you lost your job? How do you handle it if the economy went bad again? You know, I know we just came out of that or whatever. I mean, how would you handle a famine in your life? And here we see a scriptural principle. And please understand this, because people try to put, say about Joseph that Joseph did the wrong thing. It was bad. I do believe that jo- where, where Joseph messed up and Egypt messed up is during the times of famine, they sold what had been saved up from the people back to the people and put them in bondage. And that was wrong, and I believe that when you sow something bad, you will reap that same bad thing, because Joseph led the way in putting the Egyptians into bondage to Pharaoh, then God allowed for the children of Israel to be put in bondage. But the fact that they saved up money, they saved up you know, during the time of plenty, for the time of famine, that wasn't a bad thing. In fact, that was God's plan. Joseph later on would say that God orchestrated this whole thing to save much people alive. It was God's plan that someone would have the discernment to say, hey, we're making a lot of money. Hey, business is booming. Hey, I, I just got a raise and I've got tons of money. Let's not spend it all. Let's save some of it in case there's a famine, in case there's a financial downturn, in case things, in case things go bad. Now, here's what you got to understand, okay? You've got to learn to live below your means. The problem with Americans is that we spend 
100% of what we make. And even worse, some of us spend more than 100% of what we make, and we're putting it on credit cards. And every month, you're just adding to that credit card, adding to that credit card. And that's what our government does, by the way. Spend more money than they bring in. And it's a problem. And we've got to learn, and you've got to figure out, to how can I live off of less than what I make? Now, I'm not going to preach about saving money or about cutting and all that thing. We talked about that last week. I went through a whole list of areas you can cut and all that. But you've got to understand this. And now, here's what's interesting. I, I just saw this studying for this sermon this week. I saw this in the story. Because I've, you know, for years I've advised people, and I understand this is difficult, but I've advised people, you know, to live off of 80% of their income. And, and I didn't really see it in Scripture, but it's interesting because in the story, that's what Joseph says. Look at verse 34. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land. And notice what he says. Take up the fifth part. Now, the fifth part is 20%. The fifth part of the land of Egypt into the, uh, in the seven plenteous years. He says, let's take 20%. He said, let's, let's have the people live off of 80% of what they make, and we'll take 20% and save it. Now, the reason, and I've never really seen that in this story, but I think that's a good, uh, a good idea. I think you ought to learn to live. You've got to decide. You've got to look at, okay, here's how much I make. I make X amount of dollars. I make $3,000 a month or $4,000 a month or $5,000 a month or $10,000 a month and figure out how to live off of 80%. Now, I believe 80% is a great number for a Christian. Here's why. I told you I'm not preaching on giving, and I'm not, okay, but I'm just going to mention this. So some of you need to close your ears because you're going to melt when you hear me say it. But here's why. God wants 10%. So that's 90% of your income left over, but then you can take another 10% and save it for a famine and live off of the 80. So 80% of, that would be a good goal. Figure out how you can make it so that you're living off of 80% of your income. Save the fifth part. Of course, 10% of it goes to God. 10% of it goes uh, towards saving for a rainy day. So number one, you got to learn how to save for a financial downturn, for a famine. And the way you do it is you learn to live below your means. Let me give you an example. Keep your finger there in in Genesis. Go back to uh, the book of Luke. Go to Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15. Do not spend all of your income. Do not spend 100% of what you make. In Luke chapter 15, we find another famous parable that Jesus tells. And notice what Jesus says. Now, I, I understand that in the story of Joseph and in, the, in this parable, finances are not the primary application, but I do think you can get secondary and third applications from passages. God says things for reasons, and he gives us uh, statements for reasons. Look at Luke 15 and verse number 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. So here's a parable. You may know this parable as the parable of the prodigal son. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. So again, you've got a young man saying, I want my money. I want my inheritance. So the father goes again and goes ahead and does it. Look at verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there, here's, I just want you to notice it. He wasted his substance with riotous living. Didn't save any of it. Spent 100% of what he had. He wasted, the Bible says, His substance. Now notice the consistency of Scripture, verse 14. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty what? Famine in the land. And he began to be in want. Now he wouldn't have been in want if he would have saved 20% of what he had. He wouldn't have been in want if he would have saved for a rainy day, if he would have saved for a famine, if he would have saved for an emergency. But here Jesus, even in his parable, is trying to explain to us something. Famines will come. 
Think you may be financially doing great right now and you're making money and you've got things going great. But listen to me. There will be famines in your life. There will be times of, of, of financial stress and financial emergency. And you've got to prepare during the times of plenty for the times of famine. For the times of financial downturn. Go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 21. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely found the book of Psalms. Right next to the book of Psalms, you've got the book of Proverbs. Now when you get to Proverbs... Keep your bulletin or a ribbon or a bookmark in the book of Proverbs because we're going to leave it, but we're going to come back to it, okay? Proverbs 21 and verse 20. I want you to notice, here's a, here's a verse on savings. Proverbs 21 and verse number 20. I'll wait for you to get there because I want you to see it. Proverbs 21 and verse 20 says, There is treasure to be desired and oil. Now he says there's treasure and he says there is oil. In the dwelling place of the wise. Here's what he's saying. Wise people save money. He says, in the dwelling place of the wise, you will find treasure, you will find oil. But, but, a fool, a foolish man spendeth it up. See, a fool spends all that he has. A fool spends 100% of what he makes. A wise man has treasure and oil. And here you've got, and I'm going to give you other references in the book of Proverbs at the end of the sermon about savings. And people will say to me like, well, you know, in, in the book of Proverbs it says, that, you know, to save money and to have money. But new, the New Testament, look, you cannot have teachings of Christ in the New Testament contradicting the book of Proverbs. Amen. It's one Bible. It's one word. Jesus is the word. You can't have the word contradict the word. If in the book of Proverbs it tells you it's okay to have treasure and oil in your house, then Jesus cannot be contradicting that teaching. And we already talked about that. The dwelling place of the wise, the Bible says, has treasure. The dwelling place of the wise has oil. But a foolish man spendeth it up. Go, go back to the book. Keep your finger there in Proverbs or whatever you put in Proverbs. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. Say, well, why does it matter? Why do we have to save money for financial downturns? Why do we have to save money for famines? Now, here's what you got to understand, okay? You make and I make and we make bad decisions, during times of financial stress, during times of famines, we make bad choices. And in the Bible, you find this. Are you there in Genesis chapter number 12? Look at verse number 10. Genesis chapter 12 and look at verse number 10. Notice what the Bible says. And there was a, what's that say? Famine in the land. And Abraham went down into Egypt. Now, Abraham made a choice to go down to a place that he should not have gone to. Because he was making a financial decision. And by the way, it's always wrong to make decisions based on money. Never make decisions. Never make a move. Never change a job solely based on money. It can enter into the equation, but don't make decisions solely based on money. Seek the will of God and the mind of God on the matter. And here you've got Abraham, who's a good man. But during a time of financial stress, during a time of famine, he went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And notice he got himself into trouble because he goes down there and he tells his wife, let's lie about the fact that we're married. And by the way, it's always wrong to lie. And you only need to lie if you're doing something wrong, Abraham. Look at verse 15. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house and he entreated Abraham well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and asses and men servants and maidservants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because Sarai, Abraham's wife, look at verse 18. And Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this that thou hast done unto me? 
Why dost thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife. Take her and go thy way. Abraham gets kicked out of Egypt. Pharaoh says, get out of here, Abraham. And he gets, but he should have never been in Abraham. In Egypt. Good night. He should have, he should have been Abraham. Abraham should have been Abraham. But he should have never been in Egypt. But he went down to Egypt. Why? Because of a famine. He made a bad decision. You say, well, that's one example. Okay, let me give you another one. Go to Genesis 26. Look at verse number one. Genesis 26. Mistakes that parents make, often their children make if they're not taught properly. Genesis 26, you've got Abraham's son, Isaac. Look at verse one. And there was a what? Famine in the land. It it seems in the Bible that God makes a point that there's going to be famines. There's going to be times of financial downturn. Things are not always going to be great financially. And there was a famine in the land, beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. So now Isaac doesn't go to Egypt, but he goes to the Philistines, they're probably just as bad. And he goes somewhere, and he lies like his dad, and does things that he shouldn't have done, gets himself in trouble. Look at verse 9. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety she is thy wife, and how saidest thou she is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, lest I die for her. And Abimelech said, What is this that thou hast done unto us? One of the people might have lightly have lied with thy wife, and thou shouldest have brought guiltiness upon us. And basically gets himself into trouble. Why? Why did he go there? Because of a famine. You say, well, that's... Abraham, that's Isaac. Let me give you another example. Go to Ruth, chapter number 1. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Ruth, chapter number 1. Ruth, chapter number 1. Look at verse 1. Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Ruth, chapter number 1, and verse number 1. Now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a what? Famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Now, why did they go to Moab? Because of a famine. Should they have gone up to Moab? No. It was a bad decision, but they made a bad decision because finances were tough because they were in a financial downturn. They made a bad choice. How did it turn out? Look at verse 3. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left of her two sons. Look at verse 5. And Malon and Chilion died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her, uh, was left of her two sons and her husband. Look at verse 19. You know the story. I'm not going to get into the whole story of Ruth. Uh, Ruth decides to go back with her mother-in-law back to Bethlehem and Verse 19, the Bible says this, So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. So they're coming back to where God wanted them, to where they should have never left. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Was it a good decision for them to go to Moab? No. Why did they go? Because of a famine. Because of a financial downturn. Because of a financial problem. Look at verse 21. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? That's some of your story. The reason you're back in church is because you went out full, but you're coming back empty. You went out into the world because your finances were good, everything was good. You're, you're out there like the prodigal son, parting it up. But then a famine comes. You say, I better get back to the house of my father. 
He brought me back again empty. See, you got to understand this. Bad decisions are made during financial stress. People move to places they should not move because of financial reasons. People get divorced during financial problems. Number one reason for divorce in America, financial stress. People make bad decisions. They go in places they shouldn't go. They take jobs they should never take. They sin against God and they get away from God because of famines. The quote in the bulletin said this, Save a part of your income and begin now. For the man with a surplus controls circumstances, and the man with a, without a surplus is controlled by circumstances. Say, so why should we save money? Number one, you ought to save money for times of financial downturn. The experts say, and you can do whatever you want with it, three to six months of a rainy day fund or emergency fund or whatever you want to do with it. But you ought to have some money set aside for an emergency. You ought to have some money set aside in case of a famine. While things are good, don't spend 100% of what you make. In fact, I would encourage you to live off of 80% of what you make. Give 10% to God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Give 10% of, of it back to, towards savings so that when a famine comes, because it's not if a famine comes, it's when a famine comes, you can be ready and not make bad decisions as a result of financial stress. Go to 1 Chronicles 22. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. This sermon, you know, I understand it's like one of these information overload. I don't like to preach sermons that are information overloads. I just, I can't do a whole series on savings, so I just need to pack it all in right now, okay? So I understand that I'm giving you a lot of info. Take notes, go back and listen to it on the website or get the CD if you need to. But let me give you point number two. Point number one, we save for times of financial downturn. Point number two, we ought to save for major purchases. You ought to save for major purchases or major projects. Let me give you one example. First Chronicles 22, look at verse 1. First Chronicles 22, verse 1. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of, of Israel, and he sent masons to hew, uh, to hew wrought stone to build the house of God. So they're talking about building the temple in the house of God, verse 3. And David, I want you to notice this word, prepared. He's looking ahead. He's realizing that this is a big project. This is a big purchase. This is going to take a, a lot of money. David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the door of the gates and for the joinings of the brass in abundance without weight. Also cedar trees in abundance for the Zidonians. And they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. And David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding, I like this word, magnifical. I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right, but that's a cool word. He said, it's exceeding magnificent of fame and of glory throughout all the countries. I will therefore now make preparations for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. Here's what he said. We're going to do something big. We're going to buy something nice. It's going to be magnificent. How are you going to do it, David? I'm going to go get a loan. I'm going to go put it on credit. I'm going to go get in debt. Now, next week's sermon's on debt, so stay tuned. We'll come back to that thought. But he said, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to prepare. I'm going to get ready. For the major purchase. See, some of you, you want to remodel your kitchen, and that remodel, it's going to be magnificent. That car you want, is going to be magnificent. That vacation you want, it's going to be amazing. But instead of putting it on debt, why don't you prepare for major purchases? Why don't you just discipline yourself a little bit and say, I want that car. I want that truck. I want that boat. I want that house. And I'm going to save money to get it. 
I want that vacation. I want you to have that vacation. But why don't you, instead of putting it on a credit card, decide, I'm going to prepare. I'm going to look ahead. I'm going to save money, and I'm going to get ready for that big project. Go, go to uh, chapter 29, same book, 1 Chronicles 29. Look at verse 1. You say, well, he's talking about the temple. Hey, same thing with the, with the house of God. You, you know, People tell me, Pastor, we're, we, we should buy a, a new van, or we should get a new building. Hey, let's save the money for it, and we can do it. And I'm not against, and I'm not going to get into all these things. I'm not against you taking a loan out for your house. You know, I, we live in the California, okay? I don't know anybody has $400,000 sitting around, you know, or that they can buy a house with or $1.2 million to buy a building with. But I'm just saying that for major purchases, you ought to just prepare and you ought to just look to the future and say, you say, your car is getting older, you're going to have to replace it. Don't just plan on going to dealership and getting a loan. Why don't you say, I've got five years in, you know, into this car. Instead of getting, you know, I, I can get five years out of it. Instead of going and getting a loan, why don't I just save up that $250 or $300 or $700 payment that some of you are making to your cars? I'm going to save that money before and pay cash for it and save some money there and be able to do it properly. Look at verse, uh, 1 Chronicles 29, look at verse 1. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender. The work is great. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Praise the Lord. Look at verse 2. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God the gold for things to be made of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and the brass for things of brass, the iron for things of iron, the wood for things of wood, onyx stones for the stones to be set, glistering stones, and of diverse colors, and all manner of precious stones, and marble stones in abundance. Skip down to verse number 16. Same chapter. First Chronicles 29. 16. O Lord our God, all this store, he said, all this savings that we have prepared to build thee in house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand and is all thine own. He's saying, everything I have came from you anyway, and I have prepared for the future for a major purchase or a major project. I'm not saying don't fix up your house, but why don't you pay cash for it? I'm not saying, you know, don't remodel. I'm not saying don't get a nice vehicle. I'm not saying don't get whatever it is that you want. But why don't you just prepare and discipline yourself and learn to live below your means. Learn to not spend 100% of what you make. And save. You say, well, what would I save for? First of all, save for a famine. Secondly, save for a major purchase or a major project. Let me give you just a couple tips on on purchases, major purchases. Uh, just some things that might help you. Number one, pay cash. Pay cash. If, if you go and pay cash, you know, some of you will walk away from the purchase because it's easy to swipe that card. You know what I mean? But if you, you give money, you give that cash, you say, I don't know that I really want this. Okay, so pay cash. Number two, get at least three quotes. This is something we do for the church and I try to do personally. Get at least three quotes. Before you go do something, go to three different people at least and get their quotes. And here's what happens. Here's what I found. When you get multiple quotes, you learn more about what you're buying and you actually make better purchases because every time you talk to someone, you learn a little more. Number three, sleep on it. Do not buy. Look, that car lot is banking on the fact that you've got buying fever and you're going to buy whatever they tell you, you know? So just say, you know what? I just, I've got a rule. I've got to sleep on it. And half the time you're going to wake up and say, I don't, really, I don't know that I really need that. And then uh, number four, refuse to go into debt. And that's next week's sermon. But just refuse to go into debt. You're buying a house, go into debt for that. Anything else, try your best. Try your best. Try your best to not go into debt. Once you get out of debt, stay out of debt. Uh, refuse to go into debt. Those are just some tips on major purchases. So we said number one, you ought to save for financial downturn. We said number two, you ought to save for a major purchase or a major project. Number three, go to Proverbs chapter number 19. 
Proverbs chapter number 19. When you get to Proverbs, uh, I think we're going to be in Proverbs and Deuteronomy for the rest of the sermon. We'll be done here in like 10 minutes. We can do it quickly. Uh, Proverbs chapter number 19. Look at verse number 14. Notice what the Bible says. House and riches. Proverbs 19 and verse 14. House and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. Okay, the Bible says that the inheritance of fathers is a goodly name. That's true. Praise the Lord for that. But the inheritance of fathers is also, according to Proverbs 19 and 14, house and riches. Now, when you die, God expects you to have something left over to give to your kids, your grandchildren, or your children. You know, you say, well, what's another area to save for? You ought to save for the end of your life or retirement. Now, let me go ahead and say a couple of, a couple of things about this. Number one, I don't believe that you should stop just working, okay? Even if you go into, you know, you officially retire from your job, you ought to keep busy. You ought to do something. You know, go um, work for the church or, or get, get a hobby. Do something. You ought to, you know, be, be active. Don't just, you ought to not have this goal, like, I'm going to retire, and then I'm just going to sit around and do nothing, okay? That's not good. That's what we started the, the sermon with, that hoarding mentality, all right? Um, but I do think that people ought to prepare for retirement, and here's why. When you die, God expects you to have something left over, now, think about this, okay? The average American household, and, and we're talking about, you know, people, you know, California, I'm talking about the entire United States of America, so this is probably not true in California. But the average American household in California makes, you know, somewhere around $40,000 uh, a year. Over a, a working pl- class lifetime, the average American will have more than $1.5 million run through their hands. How much of that are you capturing? You know, if you're, I'm, not, I'm talking about not that you're going to get $1.5 million, but like, you know, every week you get paid, every month you get paid. After decades of that, you know, you'll have had millions, you know, a million dollars go through your bank account. How much of that are you capturing? How much of that are you setting aside for a famine, for a major purchase, for the end of your life? Now, you know, last week I talked about getting long-term care insurance for those of you that are retirement age. Let me, let me go ahead and give you some context to that because I kind of said it quickly and I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. I am not saying and I am not of the belief and I do not believe that, you know, you ought to just put your elderly, you know, family members that you don't like into a nursing home. Now, I understand that there are some people because of health issues, there's nothing else, you know, they're not able to physically care for them and they have to do that. I get that. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying I believe and I believe the Bible teaches that if at all possible, Children ought to take care of their parents at home. That's what the Bible teaches, all right? Let me give you an example. For a year, my wife and I had not her mother, but her grandmother uh, living with us. She was 92 years old, and she lived with us for a year. She didn't want to go into a nursing home, and she just didn't have, uh, you know, family that was able to, to care for her. My wife's mother uh, was caring for her, but she was in an accident. She was no longer able to. We didn't want to see her go into a nursing home, so we said, you know, my wife's, it, it was her grandmother, but we said, we'll take you in, you know, and, we, and, we, and she lived with us for a year. She, uh, you know, eventually moved to Nebraska and uh, passed away, but here's the thing. While she was living with us, it was helpful that she had money, because here's the thing. As people get older, 
it's very expensive. You know, they need certain things. They need certain, you know, she needed certain furniture. She needed, you know, she had medications that she was on, and she needed certain clothing and certain things. And all of that would have been very difficult for her. I mean, it was already difficult for us to care for her. You know, my wife had to, like, bathe her and feed her and do all those things and change her and all those things. All of that was already difficult. If we would have added to that a financial stress, that would have been very, very hard. So I... I believe, you say, Pastor Menace, are you going to retire? I plan to work till I die. But here's the thing. What if I'm not physically able to? What if I plan to work till I die, but I get Alzheimer's, and I'm not able to preach? I'm not able to do the things that I do. I'm being serious. You know, plan for that time. Try to do your best to plan for retirement. And if you've got a house and riches left over for your kids, praise the Lord. You ought to plan for those things. Um, but I don't think that, I don't want anybody to get the misconception. I don't think that you should put your family in nursing homes. We're not planning on putting either my parents eventually or my wife's parents eventually into a nursing home, if at all possible. Keep your finger there in Proverbs. Go to the book of Deuteronomy. Let me give you a couple of verses and we'll be finished up. Deuteronomy 28. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy 28. He says the inheritance is house and riches. So you got to try to have something left over when you die. So we said, number one, save for financial downturns. Number two, save for major purchases. Number three, save for retirement. Notice, none of this said save to be rich, save to be Donald Trump. We're not talking about that. We're talking about saving for a famine because a famine is coming. We're talking about saving for major purchases or don't purchase them. And we're talking about saving for the years that you may not be able to work. And when you pass away, maybe you'll have something left over to give uh, to your family. And if you don't have anything left over, that's fine too. You know, don't stress out about those things. Give your parents, you know, the, the biggest, the, the, the thing I'm the most thankful for that my parents gave me is Christianity. Is a belief in God and the Bible. And I'm thankful for my mom and dad reading the Bible with me when I was a child and raising me in the things of God and giving me this goodly heritage of Christianity. Money is not important. But if you are, if you're 30 years old and you're listening to me, start saving for the future. If you're 40 years old, start trying to do the best that you can. Deuteronomy 28. Look at verse number one. Deuteronomy 28. Look at verse one. God declares, because I have people like, you know, because I preach these type of sermons and people will email me and tell me like, oh, you are this and you're that and savings is bad or whatever. And, you know, I don't, I just delete them. But um, <laughs> look at Deuteronomy 28. I want you to notice something that the Bible says. In Deuteronomy 28, you have, the, you have God declaring, you know, the blessings that he's going to bestow upon his people. Now, I want you to notice what the Bible says. Deuteronomy 28, look at verse 1. And it shall come to pass... If thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth. And notice verse 2. All these blessings shall come on thee. Okay, so he says, I'm going to give you all these blessings and overtake thee. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, blessed shall thou be in the city, and blessed shall thou be in the field. Verse 4, blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, talking about your children, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. That's talking about your income. Now notice verse 5, blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. God says, when I bless you, you'll have savings. Because that's what store is. It's talking about storing up goods. See, God says that 
having savings and having money for a famine and major purchases and, and an inheritance to leave to your children is actually the blessing of God. It's actually God approving you. Now notice what he says if you skip down to verse number 15. Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. We'll be done in three minutes. Look at verse uh, 15. Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, uh, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. So now he, he gave him all the blessings. We didn't read all of them, just read a few. Now he says, let me tell you about all the cursings I'm going to put if you're not living right. And by the way, tonight we're going to be talking about the key to God's blessings. And we'll be looking at this passage again. Look at verse 16. Cursed shall thou be in the city, and cursed shall thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. See, being broke is not godly. It's actually a curse of God. To say, I don't have any money. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. God says, that's not how I want you to live. Now, we're not talking about being rich. We're not talking about, you know, being covetous. But God wants you to learn below, to live below your means. God wants you to learn how to put money away. God wants you to be able to give towards that major, you know, offering that's being taken at the house of God. God wants you to be able to, you know, buy that, that major purchase and you pay cash for it. God wants you to be financially stable. And from time to time, you may be a Job. But let me tell you something about Job. He's few and far between. We like to think we're all Job. Job was unique. And here's the thing about Job. At the end of the story, he's got everything back. And twice as much, all right? And we're not into prosperity preaching, but you understand what I'm saying. Go back to Proverbs 22. Look at verse number... Well, go, go, go to Proverbs 21. We already saw it, but let's look at it quickly. Then we'll look at Proverbs 22. We'll look at Proverbs 24, and we'll be done. Okay? Proverbs 21, look at verse 20. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling place of the wise. If you are wise, you'll have treasure. If you are wise, you'll have oil in your dwelling place. But a foolish man spendeth it up. Go to Proverbs 22. Look at verse 3. Proverbs 22, verse 3. A prudent man. And notice Proverbs 21 talked, uh, or one of the passages we looked at talked about a prudent wife. But a prudent man, the word prudent means wise, but the word prudent means Able to discern, able to look ahead, able to prepare. Someone who looks ahead into the future. A prudent man foreseeth the evil. They see the famine that's coming. They see the financial downturn and hideth himself. He makes adequate preparations for the evil that's coming. But the simple, the word simple means not smart, (laughs) but the simple pass on. They make no preparations and are punished. Look at Proverbs 24, look at verse 3. Proverbs 24, verse 3. Proverbs 24, verse 3. Proverbs 24, 3, the Bible says, Through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge, by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. The Bible says if you're smart, you'll save. If you're smart, you'll have chambers filled with precious and pleasant riches. Last week we talked about planning your spending. This week, we're talking about preparing for the future. You say, what should I prepare for? Save for a financial downturn. Save for the famine, because it's coming. What should you prepare for? Save for major purchases, major projects. Don't go into debt. And save for the end of your life. Save for retirement or save for, you know, try to have something left over when you're done. Let's bow our heads.